In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie-cutter Comic-Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic-Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic-Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right, this August 17th to the 19th at the all-new giant-sized Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific Con. Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrific Con delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrific Con and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic-Con action only in Connecticut at TerrificCon. For more information, go to our website, www.TerrificCon.com. Hi, I'm Mark Ruffalo, and you're listening to The Marvelous with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Stay tuned. Avengers Infinity War. Now, nothing will ever be the same. Can anyone make sense out of all that's happened? These guys are going to try. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York morning radio broadcast announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, inundated with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. What happens next? Listen up, true believers. It's time for another episode of The Marvelists. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches feet, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome, fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big pain. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find a Spider-Man. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents The Amazing Spider-Man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Marvelous. Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the rigmarole of today's topic, Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6. Ooh. What if? And on top of talking about Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6, what if, we're also going to drop for you guys our interview that we conducted at East Coast Comic Con 2018 with legendary Marvel artist Mark Bagley. Mark, who you might know for his work on Ultimate Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, and a crap ton of other amazing stuff, no pun intended. But he also gives his thoughts on a ton of different topics related to the old webhead. 
we are going to tell you all how you can get a hold of us on social media. Well, you're going to do most of it, so go ahead. Well, yeah, but... Eh. I have a keyword, and that's about it. it <laughs> Not it a brand new key like that Melanie song, but go ahead. You rode your bicycle past my window last night, Eddie. Terrible. You shouldn't have told. You weren't at home. I wasn't. Good. But anyway, go on Facebook.com slash... The Marvelists. And give us a like on there, and join all that have liked our page so far. Go on Twitter and follow us at... The Marvelists. And also follow myself at Peter Melnick and yourself at E. Wilson 959. Give us a follow on Instagram at The Marvelous. Give myself a follow at Peter Melnick and yourself on Instagram at Eddie 9193. Very cool. And also drop us a line in our email bag. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters. We will read them and we will answer. We will, Eddie. We're going to answer them. We're going to answer every so single you say, one. Mm-hmm. Also, you can go on stitcher radio and when you do go on stitcher.com slash premium and use that promo code at checkout marvelous and what happens is when you do that you sign up use that promo code you get one free month and you'll be able to check out a wide variety of content available for 4.99 a month after your free one month trial when you use that promo code marvelous correct such content includes the Smodcast archives, the WTF podcast archives, the Earwolf podcasting network archives, as well as a crap ton of stand-up comedy records. Huh. So, go on Stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout. Marvelous. And sign up today. So, Eddie. We thank you. Let's get into our show Let's get the show on the road, Eddie. I, I hope so. I have like zero notes here. Well, close to it. But we have a lot to talk about in terms of news going on. Yes, significant amount of that stuff. Let's go with the biggest one. Right now, we now know the title of Spider-Man 2 that's coming out next year from Sony. Far from home. And obviously... Tom Holland is the king of dropping those leaks. He's just, he's just he's like a faucet, you know, just a drippy faucet. Just, just leaks turn it on and he'll leak. <laughs> but he did it was intentional, unintentional combination of both. Well, he said, did you see it coming? I don't know. He said that when he was at Ace Comic Con in Seattle, that there was no new news. But he's like, but I am reading the new script for Spider Man, and then immediately shows the cover where it says the title. Oops. And obviously, that's an intentional leak, folks. That yeah. was definitely on purpose. If you wanted to make it a little difficult, you could have held it, you know, upside down. I... Yeah. Hey, why not? That's how Spidey would read it, I suppose, if he's swinging on up. Never mind. But I'm digging the title. I think it's... These titles, like, it's very much reminds me of, like, teen comedies or teen movies from the 1980s. Far From Home sounds like a 1980s John Hughes movie. It's possible, but it also has... Home in it also again. That's true. And don't know if that'll be an intentional theme. Who says you can't go home? Theme. Well, that could be the third one if we get a little copyright from Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Bon Bon Jovi. Bon Giovanni. Fully full name before they cut it down. Something like that. The title is good in probably a couple of ways to to read into it because after Infinity War. Yeah, you couldn't no. get further from home than the, what happened there. And where this is going to take him, perhaps, in this second movie. Branson, Missouri. Okay. I was going to say Biloxi, Mississippi, but you know, just pull out of town in the state. Well, there you go. 
Bronson, Missouri. I'll no see your Pelly. town and raise you a city. Yeah, okay. He's going to move to Bronson, Missouri. No All right, Pelly. I call. <laughs> I've got five townships and a village. What do you have? This ain't over. We're like battling each other for which joke we can go with. I, I have noticed. a township and a municipality. Oh, it's not going to get me anywhere. Okay. Are you? Are you? What are you? What's your reference? Because I'm just doing Charles Bronson voices now. I was just doing cities and towns and oh. making as if it was like a game of Monopoly or something. That's a good idea. Yeah, but it would take three hours, almost as long as. Never mind. <laughs> as which episode, Eddie? Which episode? <laughs> Malik? No, it's not that one. <laughs> but. What I really like about the title of Spider-Man Far From Home is the fact, like you said, it's essentially being a nod towards Avengers Infinity War as well as the connection to Spider-Man Homecoming. And when you do that, it's it's a fun little title that the audience is going to go and say, Oh my gosh, you guys! You guys! He's coming back! He's, I knew he wasn't gone! He far from home. Maybe he's going to take the bus. I like taking the bus. He's, he's affordable. very far. He better take a plane. It's affordable transportation. The, also, red, eye, the red eye. I also realize my uh, nerd voice is also a Carol Channing, essentially, when you really think about uh, it. Hello, it's me, Carol Channing. Yeah, yes, okay, sure. So. That really, you know, that's really before your time, but okay. Well, I can, I'll make a Flip Wilson reference like in a day from now or something. It's still a Far Cry from, yeah. Careful, Channing. They, they, they cut it down. It used to be Far Cry from Home, and now it's Far From Home. No. That's true. That is true. Now, also, I just feel if we go with more home titles, what else? Like, you, you know, you said, jokingly, who says you can't go home? What else would be... You joked about that. Jeez. What would be a good home title? Home, home on the range. No, that's wrong. <laughs> Spider-Man becomes a cowboy. Rustling's not easy, and I don't mean in the ring. That's true. That's Rustling. Yeah, okay. Russell. Home is where the heart is. That's been at least several comic book titles in any particular issue. Home is where the Hulk is, I think, was the title actually going off on a tangent for one issue of that. Spider-Man 3, Civil War 2, Homefront. It's going to be a long title, but... Just Homefront. Home field advantage. Home field advantage. Oh, maybe. Eh, you never know. I, I just feel doing a Spider-Man movie, you have to have the right script. You have to have the I right storytelling. Going home. Yeah. Simple and to the point. Spider-Man going home. Back to home. Base. All right, Ed. You, stop it. Stop that. Stop that. I've got, the home, <laughs> I've got the home fires burning. You, you, I, what? Anything but Home Lee. All right. Now, Eddie, on top of that, with the MCU, Lawrence Fishburne is currently on the red carpet and also just, you know, doing his press junkets for Ant-Man and the Wasp. And he's revealed some things about parts of the movie. But on the flip side, he talked about what he would love to do as a future role in the MCU. Obviously, he's going to be playing the role of Goliath. If you did not know already, and July 6th is the release date for Ant-Man and the Wasp. It is. Looking really, really cool. I'm actually, this is, I'm not excited for it, but I think it's going to be a pleasant surprise like the first Ant-Man was. Yeah, the premiere in Hollywood happened on Monday, June 25th. Did you just I turn believe. into Bug from Microverse? Tick. Good enough. You go. Yeah, that was, that's kind of close enough, yeah. 
Good catch, too. I didn't even do it on ten, in that, with that uh, intent. I've been reading a lot of the uh, Marvel Cosmic, so that's it's oh. helped. Okay. Well, when we get to that in the Obsessed with Marvel trivia, you're going to whoop some bug, big, big, big some, bug, bug butt. A whooping. A whooping, Eddie. Sure. But what I want to know is, mm-hmm. what do you think Lawrence Fishburne wants to play in a future role? Well, geez, he's Goliath in this Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, so... He wants more, Eddie. He wants more. He wants it all. He That's wants not to, big enough. He wants to devour, Eddie. He well, wants to devour things. He's hungry. Like the wolf. He's worldly hungry, like Duran Duran. That's good. Okay. Du, 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 du. He doesn't mind wearing purple and blue in a combination together with some weird antenna for a helmet. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Lawrence Fishburne wants to play Galactus in a future MCU movie. And if we're being honest... Boom. The dude's got the pipes. He can do it. I think it would be a cool vocal sound. But the problem is, dude's already got a character. Yeah, but not an unknown, not an uncommon thing for an actor to go to a different role. Yeah, but in the same universe, that'd be like, like although at one point people yeah. wanted to see Vin Diesel play the role of Black Bolt while also being Groot. That is, I think, highly doable. Yeah. I mean, come on. You're Groot and you have your line that you're only heard and it's... In various intonations, inflections, you're not seen. Most likely for an actor or actress to have another role in a short distance, a span of time, Vin Diesel, absolutely. So why not? Black Bolt? Well, because the Inhumans... And he doesn't did... talk either. Well, <laughs> well not be- either, but... It's because the Inhumans was done, Eddie. Oh. And what a disaster piece that was. Well, it's the opposite of a masterpiece, a disaster piece. Okay, fine. If we were to see other actors in the MCU portray multiple roles, who would you want to see do that? Like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. plays another role or Chris Evans plays another role in the oh, MCU. Right, right. You, bring some, you can bring – why couldn't you bring somebody back like that even though they got killed off in a, in a previous movie? So, so you know what? That, that's not a bad, a bad thought. Shoot, I just can't place somebody in my head now. Wait a minute. You said a different Robert than I was thinking of, I believe. I said Robert Downey Jr., Eddie. Not the Robert I was thinking of. Robert Redford. (laughs) I would love to... Like, the fact he only had a one-and-done character, I understand why that's a one-and-done. MODOK. He could be (laughs) MODOK. See, I've I've always gone with the idea of Peter Dinklage being MODOK. Well, okay. Yeah. I mean, hey, if he can go from Sweetums to, you know, MODOK, why not? not? (laughs) Peter Dinklage has spanned both height specifications. He has. I'm I'm proud of the guy. I'd be happy to hear that, I'm sure. If it was my decision, I would maybe go with Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. And if we have to recast people, I think it would be funny to see him. I believe it's Sicario, I want to say he's doing, with Josh Brolin. I think it would be great if he played Cable in the future MCU. Maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. It would be strange, but it, it could work, you know? Well, I'm sure we'll see Steven as well, too, but... Well, yeah. We've we've definitely seen Steve and Eddie. Cool. Now, yeah, I, I like that idea. I think, why not give somebody another role? I, I, I initially dismissed it, you know, because you can't Bogart all those roles, Eddie. You can't do that. <laughs> but I guarantee Goliath is not going to be, no pun intended, that big of a role in Ant-Man. <sighs> he should yeah, be, but he won't be. Well, you know what? You're probably correct, and I'm going to base that on the what I know and have read in 
the comic book universe that he didn't really have too much. He was part of a team, a brief run of his own title, and that's pretty much been about it. So I when, don't know that when did he, he have a run? He had a run in the 70s. Goliath. I believe so, under the title Black Goliath. I'll check that out. I believe. Give me a minute. I'll look it up, actually. Because I can. I know how to do that. I'll do it, too. I have the technology. I don't have the laptop. I have the book. You have the book. Yeah. 1976. There you go. A couple of um, renditions, versions of his costume. A later one being, I believe, I can blue fly. and white. I believe I can touch the sky, Eddie. What are you doing? A, 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 a whatchamacallit song? R. Kelly. R. Kelly, yeah. I mean, today is the day they announced the Space Jam 2 will be happening soon. Space Jam 2, really? Yes. Black Goliath, 1976, five issues. I literally just said that, Eddie. <laughs> Except for the five issues part. Your five issues. Away from a six-pack. <laughs> now, kind of a uh, com- Marvel-related topic. Not really, but it is. AMC's Comic Book Men, as of this week, as of this recording, has been canceled by AMC after seven seasons, 96 episodes, literally four shy away from 100. And they yes. canceled it. Yeah, well. Mm. I'm kind of bummed out about that. I understand why it happened. But man, I would have liked to have seen more of AMC's Comic Book Men. That would have been cool. It could have just kept going, really. Um, as, I think it did get the listenership, the viewership, rather, and yeah. I was on Comic Book Men during its third season, and some of you may remember me as the guy who came on selling the Punisher action figure. And a phallic por- Punisher action yeah. figure. Yeah. Well, it didn't say that on the packaging. I know that for a fact. It was a loose item. What do you mean? No, it sure was loose. <laughs> it was attached, but it was loose. But it it bums me out knowing that the show is over. And to be completely honest, was was it around for a long time? Yeah. But I feel like there still could have been a few more things they could have been able to do with it. Because why not? And let's be honest, the only reason I wanted it to continue longer was because I gave Eddie the website for casting and I wanted Eddie to guest on the show at least once. Uh, at one con, I did apply... As they were approaching celebrating Jack Kirby's what would have been his 100th birthday. And were there any, I was asked, were there any characters that I had cosplayed as? And I said, well, I've done a Captain America and I applied for it. I sent a photo or so, but that was about the end of that story. It was a great episode when they had all the characters in there and Kirby's uh, grandson and granddaughter showed up. It was very cool. But I have some comic book men memories as well. I believe the first season was just finished and i had gone to my first super mega show in new jersey Ooh. met mike and ming so got a photo with them also at the same show lady deathstrike and then a couple more times had seen uh, ming at least and by now they've got their own banners hanging up and, but he you know he's very cordial ming in particular yeah we just got renewed for a second season and very sociable that kind of stuff it was awesome knowing that the show was around, too, because to be completely honest, knowing that a show like that exists for gay culture, it's cool. And there were always, you know, complaints and grievances given towards it, which I understand because... Well, let me derail that or continue. 
go off on a tangent possibly. Where are you getting these complaints and stuff? Where are you, What source are they coming from? Internet in general. A lot Internet. of you know fanboys would complain, say, this is not what real comic book fans are like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm okay. like, I get that. I also always found it funny, the complaint of, it's staged. You can tell it's staged. Yeah, because not everyone's going to come in with really cool items every day into a comic book shop. Yeah, right. Nine, cause... <laughs> nine times out of ten, it's going to be a guy saying, hi, I want to sell my comic collection. What do you got? I got the Death of Superman. I got some Spawn. It's that. And you get a lot of, yeah, turnaways and, and, that, and that kind of stuff. It doesn't make for, TV, for good TV. You have to get to the core content. And, yeah, some people are naturally going to say, do they, like, buy anything? Are they always giving money to people? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that's not the case. You have to realize that a lot of stuff has to go that way for the, uh, you know, whatever's going to pass as entertainment value in that kind of reality setting. The complaint that I heard more than anything else, not from people who were watching it, but in its early first and or second season, I had occasion to ask several comic book store owners, and none of them really gave me a positive response whether it was, you know what, I work 80 hours a week. I don't have time to watch how that store is, is doing what they're doing. And couldn't couldn't be the at least bit interested. Uh, you know, off the bat, me, naive, whatever, thinking that, oh, wow, this, this show is really going to be a boon for comic book stores in general and generate interest in not just that store itself. I mean, my wife had told me, oh, you want to go check out the store? And I'm like, I really wasn't interested. In making a, you know, a significant distance from here, from here, you know, at least a couple hours, but not really, didn't think that a trip was necessary per se, but yeah, that was the biggest thing I'd heard was from comic book store owners like, no, I don't watch it. Yeah, um, you know, because they're, they're when you're when you're working every day running a comic book shop, the last thing you want to see is something to do with comic books when you come home and you want to relax. Most likely, yes, correct. So. The idea of that happening, it's a bummer. It absolutely is a real bummer, but it was cool because we got to see things like Stan Lee appear on the show, different people involved with Marvel, you know, over the years do stuff with them. Celebrities of various walks of life. And in many ways, I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't end up befriending fellow comic book men alumnus, Mike Noren of Audibly Exquisite, where we would go on to do that show. So here we are. If you have anyone to blame for this podcast, blame comic book men. Wow. Okay, that's a bit of a stretch, but then again, so is Reed Richards. That That's very true. What do you think is next in regards to comic book men? People are already trying to do you know, fan campaigns of bringing it back. Do you think the show will come back? You know what? Under Kevin Smith, yeah, it's got possibility. Right. Other than that, really not sure. I don't know what any of the other guys have done. The most significant thing I think now is they have their own bobbleheads. But, yeah, I, I don't know if it if it could happen. If it happens, it happens. Yeah, we uh, maybe can't dwell on it too much. But What we can dwell on, however, is the topic matter of today's episode. Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6. What happened and what if? A lot of what's in there. So, a lot of numbers, too. Jeez. Our last episode, we talked about Spider-Man 3. And needless to say, it was not a critical success. 
As a matter of fact, it was about as good as a colonoscopy. No, I'm kidding. It was an it was a subpar movie that really wasn't that good. You want to hear about my colonoscopy? I, I will don't tell want, you. I don't what. want to. It was not unpleasant. I it was not unpleasant. No. When you turn fifty, it's what you should do. I did it. I had the the evaluation Eddie, are you on giving, my birthday. Are you giving a PSA about why? <laughs> it's a good thing. It's preventative. It's proactive. And, Prostate. Uh, and, I had a, and I had a good, good forty-five minute nap out of it too. What has the show become? <laughs> anyway, we've anyway, hit, we've hit bottom. Oh, oh. Anyway, did you hear what he said? He said bottom. Taking out a word for a butt. <laughs> but what? We're adults. Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was cool. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, so they were essentially, they were realizing, hey, the movie did well financially, not critically, but financially. And in a lot of ways, a lot of movies that don't do well critically still garner sequels. Hi, Transformers. How you doing? Ooh. But. Minus the number. After a few years, it was believed, you know what, we're going to get a Spider-Man movie. And then the day it was announced, hey, guys, just let you know, we're rebooting the Spider-Man franchise. Well, crap. But what would have happened with 4? And a lot of discussion has gone on over the years, and one of which was we were going to see, as the main villain for that film, the Vulture. Uh, yeah, I think we were headed that direction. And Vulture was actually supposed to be one of the villains featured in Spider-Man 3, and they decided against it because of the fact of, well, we need to shoehorn in Venom. Venom, yes. Now, do you think Vulture would have been a better choice in that movie than Venom? I'm leaning towards no. Oh, okay. Because Vulture is a character that, as evident with Homecoming, you want him to have this detailed, elaborate backstory. You want to feel for him because when you look at Vulture... He's not much of a great character. Well, if you did go with Vulture, we don't know if the same thinking would have gone into it in terms of the age of the character and capabilities, appearance, and if there were going to be any other deep subplot things to it, like the twist that we got in Homecoming. Because though Vulture has always been, really, I thought, looking a senior citizen, wrinkly, bald, you know, a has-been villain, but still one of Spider-Man's early ones. Right. Like somewhere in the first, within the first 10 issues of Spider-Man. I may be getting confused with Electro in thinking like issue number nine or maybe six or four even, uh, or even, it, it might have been even sooner. And the Lizard was in there early on as well. Vulture, I think, was part of Sinister Six. Correct. And it would have been an homage or a nod to an early... Villain, a classic villain that the fans would have been comic book fans would have been a lot understanding but I guess maybe in a sense then you would be correct translating it into the movie not so much originally the actor that was going to play the role of the vulture Art Carney not Art Carney sorry Art <laughs> couldn't you see him in there doing that Ralph <laughs> the vulture was originally going to be played by Ben Kingsley who we would there you go who we would eventually go on to see play 
Slattery. He's here. He's here, but he's not here. He's here. It's complicated. The Mandarin. That's right. Well, Eddie, I'm uh, waiting uh, for the quote. Uh, uh, America. What else? And uh, a fortune cookie. There we go. A for- uh, fortune cookie. We've been. We've drifted. Okay, fine. But he was supposed to play the role in three, and that didn't happen. However, Sam Raimi, the director of the film and writer and producer and all that good stuff, wanted to go in a completely different direction then. If we're going to make this character the vulture, I want him to be a menacing character. Enter John Malkovich. Mm -mm. And I got to tell you, Malkovich would have been one hell of a choice, and it would have been a bizarre movie, but I would have been all for it. Yeah, yeah. And if that were to have happened... Would you would you have watched a vulture movie starring him? I would have. Oh yeah. Why? Absolutely. Why? Because I love Spider Man, uh-uh. and by association, I will watch it. All right. And save judgment for later, not because oh they're putting that person in there. No, not a prejudgmental thing, but go into it open minded and oh hi Peter. I I, I yeah. I'm definitely the prejudgmental type. For for some things. Okay. Some things are better left unsaid. That Venom movie is going to be the living station. Come to life. Ooh, stinky. But well, anyway. So was that symbiote. Symbiote. But what I like about this idea was also we were going to feature one other villain. Technically two. We were going to have somebody play a minor role, I guess. According to the storyboards that got leaked a few years ago by Jeffrey Henderson who was the storyboarding concept artist behind the films, we were going to get Mysterio. And as I've teased on this show in the past few weeks, who is Mysterio going to be, Eddie? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, tell me again. Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. <laughs> and That's tell right. me that would not have been one hell of a character arc for this guy. Sure. Sure he, thing. Because he's even faking a French accent. He's doing this. He's doing that. And he just keeps failing and failing until he finally is like, you know what? I'm going to do a life of crime. And seeing Bruce in that, Bruce has had an interesting career. The man is known forevermore to be this B-movie star for his work on the Evil Dead movies, for The Man with Two Brains, for Bubba Hotep. What else? He, he, like I said, he's done a lot of stuff. A lot of schlocky stuff, but stuff with heart, you know? He's getting a paycheck. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying, like, it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, he's a guy who, if we're being real here, should have been a bigger deal than he was. Mm-hmm. Okay. And seeing him play the role of Mysterio, that's perfect. And this would have been his breakout role, in my opinion. And if this were the case, how would you have done Mysterio in this movie? How much of a focal point would you have made him? Well, significant doesn't cover that. But if you're going to have a focus on one villain, then he's going to have to take up the definite, I'm going to say, close to half of the uh, film devoted to to him. And perhaps a little backstory, a little origin thing, how he got to the point where he is. Depending on where where you drop, where you, at what point in this Mysterio character's career life, you bring him in. And it could be brought in as easily as, you know, Peter and Mary Jane go into a magic show. Because he was a magician or magician or illusionist 
And that would be a great start, I think. I think that's how he was introduced into comic books. Now, in regards to the character on, you know, in the comics, what is your favorite Mysterio story? I can't include uh, or think of all the particular details, but I, I do remember him really getting the best of Spidey where it looked like there was no way to get out of the particular situation that he was in. And it could partially be tied into an a animated episode as well from 1967, that series. But I think you, you knew by the end of the half hour, things were going to work out. Right. I don't think in even that animated series setting, it continued as a, a two-part episode. But there was a significant part time frame where he really was having the upper hand on on Spider-Man. And that just kind of makes me think, well, how would the way we know him to look translate into a movie? And I don't know if it would have been okay with that, that orb-type helmet that he wore. Something to represent that, perhaps. Right. Because you really never saw his face. And he was always, and he had uh, the, the gloves on, the cape, the, the the outfit, which I guess kind of used the same green and purple that was used in a lot of characters, villains or, or heroes, and the cloud of smoke. That would be his entrance and exit. Well, I would say the best story to involve him doesn't involve Spider-Man, but instead Daredevil, mm-hmm. the 1998 Guardian Devil story written by Kevin Smith. And it's hands down one of the best comic book stories I've ever read. Okay. So if you have the ability to do so, definitely check it out. Uh. Like, I'm not going to give spoilers, but man, if you thought Born Again ruined Daredevil's life, Guardian Devil went up to 11. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. That's, that's good stuff. And, well, not good for him, but... You know. I would say a... The incorporation of Mysterio in these movies would have been unique because you would have also had the aspect of the -the over-the-top budget for this. Imagine a major budget movie featuring a character like Mysterio doing all these illusions and all this and that. Yeah, it's going to plunk a significant amount into the budget for sure. It would have been a game changer. But maybe not as expensive to do now versus 10 years ago, let's say. Now, this movie would have, I believe, come out in 2011. 11? Yeah. So this would have have been a few years, would have given, you know, maybe a bit of a palate cleanse. Four years later? Yeah. It would have been a bit of a palate cleanse for the audience, and that would have been fine by me. It would have also, you know, been the nine-year anniversary of the first movie. Which doesn't sound significant, I don't think, the nine-year, you know. But it's still, you know, progression, I mean, of the... Okay, well, like the, of the, that much time between the first and this one. And it would have it would have been cool because we would have had, you know, like I said, the characters be a little bit older. What happens with them now? And I think the idea of doing four, it would have been better in the sense of distance away from the characters for a number of years. How have they changed since? We don't see everything that happens, but why not? Yes, and you could come into their character storylines at whatever point you wanted to. Right. You didn't necessarily have to bridge a gap or or connect it all together. You might unfold it later in the movie, but not a requirement, right? 
I would have been for it for the fact of seeing, you know, Spider-Man, how he reacts years and years later with the death of, you know, Norman, with the death of Harry, with the death of his uncle. Like, all these years later, how he finally reacts to it. Like, you know, how it's gotten to him. Yeah. You might go into that direction, but I don't think you would need to for a significant amount of time. Why do you say that? Well, he's moved on. It's not like he became a recluse and decided to hang it up, thinking he's not doing any good, like he did for a time with, by the time you got to even, what, the second Spider-Man film, and it was wondered, where'd he go? What's going on? Crime rate's gone up so much percentile and stuff like that. And meanwhile, when you get to the beginning of three, crime is down. New York loves Spider-Man. It's taken a totally different um, spin of the pendulum or the scales. Or a spin of the webs. I left that for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Do you think we would have seen much of a character progression in between those years? I don't know. I don't know how much you would have needed to or just certain different things that were going on in, in the character's life. Why is that? But I guess in order to perpetuate, you know, forward motion, you would have needed to have something happening. Like, for example, the Mary Jane Peter Parker relationship that results in a, a wedding proposal. So that could have come into it, perhaps. Okay, I could see that. And so there could have been growth, you know, growth there. You might have had a graduation of Peter Parker in, in there somewhere. I actually think four would have been the perfect choice to do the wedding mm-hmm. because it was rumored and she was approached to play the role of Black Cat Anne Hathaway. And as some of you may know, Black Cat is the love interest of who from time to time? Spider-Man. Exactly. So I feel doing that, that would have been a very cool choice to see in there because... He's conflicted. This one, you know, comes into his life and she loves him and is trying to break off the marriage. She's literally even trying to steal, you know, not just jewels, not just this, but the love of Mary Jane Watson. She, I don't think, wanted to necessarily, not that he would have revealed his identity, but I don't think she cared who was under the mask. Right. She loved his persona, his personality. Maybe the fact that he paid attention to her. In that, in that sense, didn't want to see her hurt, wanted to put her on the right track, on the right path. Right. This is the lifestyle that she had grown accustomed to. So she, a little cat crazy, conflicted. So, uh, so yeah, that that's a tough thing to, to try to balance. I do remember coming up and reading those comics as they came out. So, yeah, he really had a more of a juggling act to do in Spider-Man persona and in Peter Parker role. What would you have done with the incorporation of Black Cat in the movie? You heard in mind the idea of, you know, being the the wrecker of the wedding. Yeah, if you wanted to go that way, that it definitely would have definitely, it would have absolutely created drama and tension in there. And, oh man, how is this going to end now? But you, I think if, if that was the direction you would have gone in, it would have somehow resolved to not disrupt, or if anything, postpone things. Right. So you're stretching things out, perhaps. But I don't think it would have put the whole kibosh on on the wedding. Now, unfortunately, one thing that did get the kibosh put on it was Spider-Man 4. 
basically at the end of the day, as Sam Raimi himself had said, it really was the most amicable and undramatic of breakups. It was simply that we had a deadline and I couldn't get the story to work on a level that I wanted it to work. I was very unhappy with Spider-Man 3 and I wanted to make 4 to end on a very high note. The best Spider-Man of them all. But I couldn't get the script together in time due to my own failings. And I said to Sony, I don't want to make it a movie that is less than great. So I think we shouldn't make this picture. Go ahead with your reboot, which you've been planning anyway. And Sony co-chairman Amy Pascal said, thank you. Thank you for not wasting the studio's money. And I appreciate your candor. So we left on the best of terms, both of us trying to do the best for fans. The good name of Spider-Man and Sony Studios. And... The idea overall was supposed to be it wasn't supposed to end at Spider-Man 3. It was supposed to go up to six. They planned out six movies in general. And what I like to think is, obviously, you and I are going to build this up. Spider-Man 4 will be what it was supposed to be. And how would you feel about throwing the idea of the wedding in for that? Yeah, definitely. Definitely character development progression, absolutely. So we're going to go backwards. Spider-Man 1, Green Goblin. Spider-Man 2, Dr. Octopus. Spider-Man 3, Venom and the Sandman. Spider-Man 4, The Vulture, Black Cat, Mysterio. Spider-Man 5. I'm not entirely sure what kind of story it could have been. Maybe a year into Spider-Man's married life. And him juggling the idea of all this stuff. And if we were to include a villain, I would have made the villain for that one, Shocker. Really? Shocker is seen by a lot of fans as a quote-unquote dud of a villain. But under the right writing, under the right circumstance, you can take anything and make it great. Yes. So I think Shocker would have been a great choice. And on top of that, you know what? Let's throw in Carnage. Actually, no, I take that back. Let's throw in the scorpion. Okay? Okay, well, I, you know, in, in looking up Spider-Man 4, 5, 6, I did find one item that I looked at for about six minutes, which is as long as it was, and it had promotional pictures with the number four, and it had pictures of characters like Black Cat, like Carnage. Yeah, they were most likely fan-made, though. Yeah, well, that was the only point of reference I had. So um, there were other characters in there, too, like Lizard and Venom and, and Craven the Hunter. They had a five with, with Scorpion. And you have seeing uh, Eddie Brock, I, I believe they used Topher Grace in that one as well. And then and then a six with, with Doc Ock and the Rhino, which I believe that was Patrick Warburton. Yeah, those were, again, of. fan castings right, and stuff like right. that. That's the only, like I said, thing I had to, to look at. Well... Oh, an Electro, and what a hair shot that was. Oh, yeah. I would actually say five. You know what? I'm actually going to swap out one of my villains. I won't use Shocker. Okay. Because the man wanted to play this role for so long, he did three movies, and nothing ever came out of it, and he would have. He auditioned when they were doing the reboots. The Lizard should have been the main villain of Spider-Man 5. I agree, because... That was in development just by virtue of the fact that you had Dr. Kurt Connors. And let him kill his wife and kid. Eat him. He's going to eat him. That's, that's a chicken hawk. 
That's well, a foghorn lake. Yeah, but the lizard, the lizard did like You're ruin a chicken, everything. And I'm, chick- and I'm not a chicken hawk, and I'm going to eat you. <laughs> yeah. But I feel doing that, it would have been a great downward spiral for the character of Kurt Connors. Yes, thank you, Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. But if that were to happen, would you want to see Lizard as the villain? And how would how would you do your version of Spider-Man 5? You know what? Lizard is a great choice. I think it's a natural progression. Uh, picking up one of the other characters in previous films and just you know developing that regenerative serum that not only grows an arm but <laughs> develops scales and grows, grows hair on your chest pers- too personality disorder uh you know and a taste for um you know tropical things <laughs> swamp things hawaiian punch oh wait a minute that's the wrong universe <laughs> hawaiian punch fruit juicy do you think fans would have lost steam by four, like with these movies? I don't necessarily think so. Why do you say so? Look at the comic books. Look at the runs of the titles and and such longevity. You know, we just saw Amazing Spider-Man number 800. Renumbering be damned. But, you know, next stop will be 1,000. <gasps> I don't know if I'll yeah. live for it, but whatever. Eddie, I don't know if you know this, but those comics are kind of... Uh, don't blow my... You're going to burst my bubble. I know it. He's going to do it. They're like published twice a month. <laughs> Some? Yeah. Spider-Man especially. Okay. So you will live You will live to see Spider-Man 1,500 probably. Be that as it may, Parker. I think fans will be there. This is, This is the first character to, to get the franchise started. This is the main character of Marvel Comics. Yeah. He'd still have life. Longevity. I just feel after a while, the fans would get tired of the character. Not the character, but like the, at least the portrayal of Spider-Man by Toby. <sighs> and I feel a refresh, a, you know, a jumble up of everything Jambalaya. would have been fine in 2014 when they were originally supposed to do Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. They should have done Spider- Amazing Spider-Man 1 in 2014 instead. Hmm. But it didn't happen. Instead, we got a really crappy movie with Electro. If you... And I don't mean you, singular. Had been able to sustain the same character in Spider-Man and continued on, you could have done probably a lot of things. And, and I just immediately went to the, just the whole variations of the of the title. You know, you could have gone to Spectacular, not Web of. Stupendous Spider-Man. Stupendous, yeah. Why didn't we get a Stupendous Spider-Man? Because maybe it was taken somewhere and it wasn't uh, worthy of that. Sensational, perhaps. I'm not worthy. As some... Marvel Treasury Editions say sensational. Super Duper. Eh. See, now I want to see Super Duper Spider-Man. It all gets confusing to me when in the comics adjectives of of characters are flipped. You know, Uncanny was always X-Men. Yeah. Never... Any other team name. And they've done Astonishing X-Men. They've done Astonishing Spider-Man, I think. Or no, they've done Astonishing Ant-Man. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm in agreement. 
What I'd like to know, though, is if we were to see Spider-Man 6 happen. I feel that would have been the perfect conclusion to the series. And by doing so, we end up doing, of course, the Sinister Six. That's right. And six, six, that makes sense. What I'm going to do is casting of my version of what the Sinister Six in that should have been. We end up getting someone discovering the Green Goblin outfit, and they become Green Goblin. We find somebody new, don't know who it could be, but not an Osborne, but maybe one of the people that works for them. So well, first one, Green Goblin. Okay. Same name? Could be the Green Goblin, could be the Hobgoblin. I would go Hobby. We can go, we, I, then yeah, go with Hobgoblin. And not green and purple color. We go with the lizard. Sure. We go with Dr. Octopus. Turns out he didn't die. We figure something out. We don't know. Yeah, the arms save them. They haul them out of the water. Who else? We the have... rocket racer. No. I would say... Whirlwind. We can't use Sandman because he's got his moment of vindication at the end. Yeah. Of three. What about Hydro Man? I would go with Rhino. Yes. You'll go with Hydro Man for yours. I'm going to go with Rhino. And let's see. The villain of five, or four also was Vulture. How about, another, how about another version of Electro? I don't know if I would go with Electro, personally. I would go more with Mysterio. I do. Yeah, I'd go there, too. So for mine... Hobgoblin, Lizard, Doc Ock, Rhino, Vulture, Mysterio. Yourself? Craven the Hunter. Oh, I d see, again, every lineup of the Sinister Six, they always have different lineups. So it would... I always thought there was one lineup, not that I was going to remember all of them, there's... but a lot of the good heavy hitters were in there, so... Yeah. I didn't know that Craven was necessarily part of the Sinister Six, but... I think an early one, I'm, I'm thinking of the superior foes of Spider-Man. You've got the Beetle. You would throw a Beetle in yours? I don't know. It, it, I'm th you took most of the good ones. Well, you can ha we can have double dips. Okay, well, I'm going back to Electro then. And take that ooh with Craven the Hunter. Okay, so you have Electro, Craven, or Craven the Hunter. You like Craven's? They're I pretty good. I love Craven's. Okay, They're fine. the best. I, I like Scorpion. Okay, so and I like and I like lizard. Would you use Doctor Octopus? That is quite possible as well. Mm -hmm. Trying to be true to the the lineup. It's like we're fantasy football, like, uh, like I, and that's been my first foray into into that too. But what about well, we already said Carnage, didn't we? For five, if you want to use Carnage, you can use Carnage. If you want to uh, bring it more up to uh, what the nineties, I guess. Yeah, kind of thing. Then, okay. you, then you could go there. So that's your lineup? More or less, yeah. I dig that. And I feel, let's go with who we would cast for some of these roles. You go. Man of a Thousand Faces. So obviously we have Mysterio cast as Bruce Campbell. Vulture would be John Malkovich. Dr. Octopus would be a reprising Alfred Molina. Hobgoblin. Okay. Hobgoblin. Yeah, I don't have either <laughs> cerebral rec recollection of the uh, Hollywood stars. John Hamm. So. John Hamm, known famously for Mad Men. This could have been, you know, a yeah. big deal for him. Yeah. 
Rhino. You want to go with a big guy. This is pre-Guardians of the Galaxy, Dave Bautista. Or do you want to go with this uh, character who has been already in, and that would be uh, the Juggernaut? So now, like we said in our other episode, overall, the impact of the Spider-Man movies is a very important thing. And when you really think about it, Spider-Man changed the face of the motion picture landscape, especially for comic book films, adapted stuff like this. And if it wasn't for Spider-Man, we wouldn't have Iron Man. We wouldn't have Captain America. We wouldn't have the Avengers. We wouldn't have any of that stuff. Not the way we know them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about the Spider-Man movies. Even the amazing run, where they weren't the greatest things, but they were still solid films. For what they were trying to accomplish, they were solid endeavors. And I feel you wouldn't have laid the groundwork for what films are with comic books without Raimi's work. And a lot of what Raimi did is evident in the films the way they are now. Some of the, you know, the writing they... Like Land said in our Spider-Man 2 episode... They treated them differently. They weren't just, you know, one-and-done movies. They were a proven commodity with a universe built into them. You know? Yeah, I agree. We don't know what would have happened if there was no Raimi Foundation. I just feel Sam should have been given his opportunity to present what for could have been with his own perfect vision. And if you're Sony, you're seeing... This guy is responsible for all these movies that are, you know, made so much money. Raimi should have gotten as much money as he needed for this. Here's a question now that I'm trying to think out of the box for you all. If Marvel was already under Disney and Raimi did his three, would he have been allowed to continue? I don't see that happening. Because, again, Disney wants their seal of approval with things. I would love, though, to see Raimi make his return to directing a superhero movie, and it could, should, it could, should be for Marvel Studios. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought by being under Disney that maybe they would give him the green light to go, go to the fourth, the fourth movie. The problem is they can't because of the fact it's different. One, it's different timelines because it takes place in a different world, whatever. The second reason being is this was before the agreement with Sony and Disney. I was doing a what if. Well, my then your what if, I would love to see that happen. Okay. But but again. That's all what ifs are. And that's unfortunate because I would love to see what's next. After watching these movies, I agree, I am in agreement with a lot of people that yeah. Toby did an amazing job, and the writing of these films was fantastic. But we'll never know what's next. The only thing we can really know is what could have been. Yeah. And I feel a Spider-Man 4 documentary is something that should come to be one day. Like, what would have been? Kind of like how we have the death of Superman lives, what happened. I'd like to know what would have been with Spider-Man 4. Seeing the storyboard art is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And hearing these bizarre ideas of what could have been for four, oh my God, it would have been great. Mm. Yeah. 
because that's what Sam wanted. Sam wanted the perfect superhero movie. Although he perfected it with Spider-Man 2, why not try and find a way to replicate that but in his own Sam Raimi way? We'll be starting our kind of Punisher month. So we're going to be including the 1980s Dolph Lundgren movie, 2004's The Punisher, and 2008's Punisher Warzone. But during one of those weeks, we will also be giving our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. So Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to be that tiny little thing that sneaks its way in during Punisher little, Month. Because they're little. That's exactly. Little. Now, before we go, let me introduce you all to Mr. Mark Bagley. We are joined right now with legendary Spider-Man artist Mark Bagley. Mark, how are you doing today? I am doing fine. How are you guys? Pretty good, pretty good. Enjoying the con. Day two of East Coast Comic Con here in lovely Sea Caucus, New Jersey. And I got to tell you, first off, thank you for being the Spider-Man artist of my adolescence. I appreciate it. I did it just for you. I had you in mind. Well, you ha- well, you were making Peter for Peter, and I, you know, it's the best. Uh, I, I appreciate that. It was uh, Spider-Man's always been one of my favorite characters. When I got to draw him on Amazing Spider-Man, it was an honor. I felt like I'd really arrived in comics, and then doing Ultimate Spider-Man put a, you know cap on that for sure. When did you first get contacted by Marvel to work on the character of Spider-Man? Not amazing? Yeah. Well, I was working, you know, I'd been with Marvel for a while. I was doing New Warriors, and um, which became kind of a surprise hit. With Fabian Nicieza. Yeah. And Danny Fingeroff was editing the New Warriors book, and he was given the Spider-Man office, and Danny and I had gotten pretty close. Um, I was dying to draw Spider-Man, and uh, so, you know, when Eric Larson got it, I really thought I, I was sort of in line, I'd done a few fill-ins and that sort of thing, and I was actually at San Diego Con when uh, I found out Eric got the book, and I was miserable, you know, I, I was glad for Eric, of course, but, you know, I really felt like, nice, um, so, but then Eric left, and he came to me, and, uh, it was just amazing to be on that book, you know. It's ch- literally a childhood dream. Who was your Spider-Man artist when you were growing up? Like, your number one favorite? My number one favorite when I was growing up was Gil Kane. You know, and he wasn't on there all that long, I know, but I just love Gil Kane's artwork. Um, you know, John Romita was amazing. Uh, you know, Ditko was awesome, too. I mean, they're, they're all so different. You can imagine the difference from Ditko and, and John Romita's styles. See why you know some people would like one and one some people would like the other, but uh, I, there's something in each of them I really appreciate. And uh, but Gil Kane had this fluidity and this anatomy, this knowledge of anatomy and the way he used perspective and cityscapes and that sort of thing. Really, just one of a kind. It's kind of like John Buscema, you know. It's like he was, he was just his own person. Now, with Spider-Man, you ended up working on Amazing, and then you ended up going over into the Ultimate. And Ultimate is where you were already a big deal with Amazing Spider-Man, but you knocked it out of the park with Ultimate alongside Brian Michael Bendis. What, what was your initial thoughts when you were told you're going to be on a Spider-Man title where it was a whole new perspective of the character? I turned it down three times. Really? Yeah. Uh, it turns out... Um, Bill Jemis was editor-in-chief at the time, or, or publisher, I guess. And um, he had 
editing trading card series I'd done like years before. I didn't didn't even remember. And um, he's apparently a huge fan of my work. And so he pushed to have me on the book. But at the time, things at Marvel and me were a little sketchy. I you know, there's some office politics and stuff going on. I was not in a really good place mentally. And so they came to me with this idea of doing this. I forget what it was. It wasn't Ultimate Spider-Man at the time. It was something else. Um, and I just, you know, John Byrne had just done his year one thing, and that that was not well accepted by the fans. And I just thought, nah, I don't want to do this. And I knew Bob Harris, who was editor-in-chief, didn't like my work. And I just I just didn't think it was going to go. And uh, it turns out Gemis was like existing. So they called me. The third time they called, it was like, they didn't say you either take this or else, but it was basically, you know, you're always looking for extra work and forget, you know. So I took it on and, you know, I got the script and the first script was like, I don't know, it's a 35-page issue, but the script was like 70 pages long. I'd never seen anything like it. And I'd never heard of Brian. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? You know, he's not in costume. Like, I didn't get it. And it took a few issues for me to really kind of glom onto what he was doing and understand it. But it was going to be a six-issue miniseries and... I was going to leave after the sixth issue. In fact, they'd already offered it to Robert, to um, um, uh, Leonard Kirk. Really? They'd already offered it to him when the first issue came out. And um, it was a hit. I mean, you know, Frank Cliff figures he'd given me the Marvel Trial book and said, look, you got to stand this. I mean, the paper was great. The inking was great. The fans really seemed to embrace it. And so I called Marvel and and this was all within a course of about a week that I, this all went on. And I said, I'd really like to stay on the book. And Rob Mackey was like, thank God, you know. Uh, Jemis just thought to me, you know, he said, well, who fired Bagley? He was furious. And uh, so they had to call Leonard back and say, well, you don't have the book. And when they called him back, it was like four days after they'd offered it to him. He thought they were going to ask him to start on it early. So he was a little bitter about that. But, uh... So, you know, and I just fell in love with the project. At, at that point, around probably the third issue, I really started getting Brian, and, and the dialogue was so good. And just, you know, we, we really sing. In fact, then, it was a little bit emailing, but not much. You really talked on the phone and got, you know, created bonds with the writer. He, Brian and I are really good buddies. And it just was like, it was amazing. And then you guys left. You left after the six issue, obviously. And no way you didn't. You ended up staying on for over 100 issues and beating Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's record alongside Brian Michael Bendis. I was just having a blast. You know, just working and working and working on it. And, just, and we were doing 18 issues a year because I, I was, at that time, fast enough to do that. I, I've slowed down some because I'm older and I'm trying to do better work. But, um, you know, I just... I was having a blast, and then they, around issue like 70 or so, people started talking about it a little bit online, like, you know, hey, uh, you know, you might, the record's 100, you know, yada, 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 and I was like, well, whatever, I didn't think that much about it, you know, then it, we got up to about a, you know, issue 85, issue 90, and then people started really buzzing about it, and uh, I was like, yeah, that'd be, that would be cool, that would be neat, you know, so I keep working, and about issue 90, 95, you know, I'm like... God, I hope I don't get hurt. hope I don't get sick. I really wanted to do this. And uh, it became a thing. So it was exciting. Now, with that run, we ended up seeing different characters in the Spider-Man universe get reinvented, essentially. For example, Deadpool changed. We ended up seeing a new take on the Vulture. We ended up seeing new takes on 
one of my all-time favorite villains, Craven the Hunter, turning into a reality show star. <laughs> it's just kind of a douchebag and not really a threat. Yeah. What was it? What was your favorite change of all the characters? storyline we did. I don't know if you want to talk about that differently. Oh, you but, absolutely can. You know, uh, just the idea of going back into that and doing it right. You know, doing it without all the editorial inter interference and the publishing cowardice and really screwed up the first clone storyline. Brian's story was so sweet and so neat, you know. Um, but, and I, at that time, I was drawing really well. I mean, everybody goes to phases where they're, they're feeling better about what they're doing. I was feeling pretty good about what I was doing at the time, and I had really good inking at the time. John Dell was inking me, and Drew Hennessy was inking, and, and the coloring was amazing. You know, Justin Ponzer, who's right now having some health issues, so get well, Justin, um, was is phenomenal. So it was the book just looked beautiful, and uh, so that was you know just the, the change in that storyline. I mean, I like my version of Electro. I like the fact that he burned his own ears off, and that's why he was bald and the whole nine yards. When it came to the overall reaction from the fans, how did you feel about the super positive reaction from the fans to this reinvention of the character? Well, it was just amazingly gratifying. All of a sudden, it was like, you know, yeah. it just felt really great. I mean, having something that popular, that's, I mean, we outsold Amazing Spider-Man for 10 years, you know, almost 10 years. Um, and it was just, and I knew it was because of Brian's writing, quite a bit of it, but I knew there was my bit of it too, and uh, to have a, you know, Amazing Spider-Man was never my book, it was Marvel's book, you know, this one, you know, in some sense I could feel it like was mine, yeah, Ditko designed the costume and, it, and, and Stan wrote, you know, but we could take it and embrace it as our own, and that gave us a bit of freedom, and the fact that people liked what we did really felt liberating, you know, I, I get what, you know, Creator Owned is all about you. It's all yours. I've done a little bit of that, but not much. I can't write. Save my life. But uh, it just—it was just so amazingly gratifying. With that, we ended up getting in 2002 the Spider-Man movie from Sam Raimi. And what I want to know is, a lot of that movie borrowed elements of your Spider-Man sure. from Ultimate. What was it like knowing that? they were taking elements of what made your character so great and throwing it into the on-screen adaptation. It was just neat. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, I didn't get any screen credit or anything like that, but there are scenes in that movie that are directly from, you know, our book. Like, when he's going, when J. Jonah Jameson's going through the pictures that Peter's taking, he goes, crap, 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 and then he goes, ooh, that's in, you know, like the second issue or third issue of the book. Um, so, you know, I was just, you know, they've done that for each of the movies since you know the, the Andrew Garfield I mean I actually did some drawings for the movie some costume stuff uh, you know and, and the latest latest incarnation is so much full of moments with Spider-Man um, you know I don't make any money for it because you know it's Marvel's character but it's not all about that it's about you know I've got a I've got the hardcovers on my bookshelf and combined they're you know like 18 inches across or maybe a little more and that's that's a body of work that's a thing that's going to be around for a long time it's not like the six issue miniseries here five issue miniseries here it's this whole big book that's just yeah it's 
it's all great. You know, Marvel pays me. I mean, I make money doing this. I make a living doing this, which is what I dreamed about doing as a kid. And that's good. But the idea that people are actually appreciating what you do on top of that is, you know, money in the bank in and of itself. How would you rate the overall live-action appearances on film of Spider-Man? We've got Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland. Who is your the best one you've seen so far that's most representative of the character? Visually, I actually think um, Andrew. Was, was, I really like the way he is, his, his body language and the way he moved and the look of him. I mean... Uh, I think Tom Holland is terrific too, and he's 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 small and lithe, and you know that's what Spider-Man is supposed to be like. You know, Andrew may be a little too tall. Um, you know, Toby he did a good job, and those movies don't age well. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of them. As you know, this interview is going to be part of our uh, Spider-Man rewatch, yeah. so you're, this will be paired up with one of the Spider-Man episodes. But yeah, I, when I watch these movies, like. As of this recording in April of 2018, yeah, they didn't beforehand, and I'm interested to see what's going to happen next. You know how they aged even more so. Yeah, I think you know uh, of the McGuire movies. The only thing I think back on that I really, really, to this day, love was the portrayal of Sandman. You know, in the third movie, that's the only thing I liked about that movie. And but I thought that character, just the way it was done, was just terrific. I do find it funny though that with the Tom Holland portrayal of the character, they they got some things different than other portrayals, but then they got it like different in one aspect that I really loved that they included the Queen's a- uh, accent. No other version of him has used that. I think Garfield had a bit of a bit of a Queen's accent. It wasn't as strong as it wasn't as strong as uh, as uh, Paul Thomas's, but um, I think it was definitely there. Yeah, they all they all take differentiating things from the comics, some more successful than others. Like, as much as I like the first Andrew Garfield film, there's things in there I just couldn't get. Like, Gwen working for, you know, uh, Norman Osborn. There's just things you were just like, why do that? That makes no sense, you know? There are, you know, there's a lot of different things that they're going to be adapting for the movies. We don't know, for example, what the next Spider-Man sequel is going to be about right. with Tom Holland. But if it were up to you, what would you do as the film? Like, what story would you go for? That's <laughs> so far above my pay grade, man. Um, I don't know. These films have gotten a little formulaic, where they end up with a big fight at the end. So I almost wish they'd do have something a little different than that. But uh, Have you seen Infinity War, though? No. Just saying. No, yeah, say. well, yeah, but that's the first half of the movie. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, doing, I, I don't know. No worries. No I don't worries. know. I, you know, I, I like him less involved with uh, Stark and more being Peter Parker and more being an actual Spider-Man, that sort of thing. You know, it, it, it would be cool to see the lizard. Maybe it'd be cool to see. Um, uh, I don't know. Electro. No, they just well, did Electro that. Well, Electro done right. Yeah. Oh, the Electro was done right. The, the, the Max Dillon was done terribly. Yeah. You know, oh, God, I mean, the actual, yes. the actual character was, you know, so, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, just seeing different... Th- that's the thing about Spider-Man is his rogues gallery is akin to Batman's. Yeah. Because he's got so many. You have Scorpion, you have Electro, uh, Kingpin, Dr. Octopus, Octopus, the Lizard, yeah, right. and just so many. Yeah, and you I, got Kangaroo, the Gibbon. 
And then he's got two of them that, the you know... The wacky Wheeler guy. He's got two that you're very, you know, much responsible for, one of which you co-created. There's Venom and, again, your co-creation. the same friends, Carnage. Carnage. Yes. I, is he a symbiote? Yes, he apparently is a symbiote. Um, nope, they got to correct that. But, uh, yeah, I was, you know, the whole Carnage thing, the whole Venom thing, it was... It got to be too much after a while, and if I'd known Carnage was going to be this popular, I'd, I'd have made him easier to draw. But um, it's it's very cool that people glommed on to him. I, I don't understand why, to be honest with you, but they, they they love him. You know, the whole thing where he's tossing the baby off the balcony the first time he shows up. I mean, I've had people sign that 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 panel in particular. I'm just like, okay, that's bizarre. But uh, you know. Drawing them at conventions, you know, I've actually come to enjoy drawing Venom. Still, Carnage is hard to draw and have him be interesting looking as as just a drawing because it's just the swirls and you can't really do anything with the expression on the face. Even with Spider-Man, I feel like I can give him give him expression through his mask. But um, you know, people really love him and, and that's awesome. He's in the movie, that's great. I don't know how they're going to do Venom without having Spider-Man. But yeah, they'll do something. Well, as of this recording, like I said, April 2018, one of the things I noticed when the Venom trailer came out, I've never seen this with a Marvel movie, non-Marvel Cinematic Universe Studios. This movie, the trailer opened with In Association With. They never did that for Deadpool. They never did that for any of the X-Men movies. And with the rumors of Tom Holland possibly being on set. I think they've squelched that rumor pretty hard. Yeah, it's like a 50-50. It might be. Yeah, I don't know. But it would be great if they. Yeah, even if it's just ancillary or something. You know, even if they don't have the venom being, you know, the, the venom symbiote being Peter's symbiote first, and then clearly it's not going to. But having something happen that they end up with that, they gotta have to end up with that white spider on the chest. I mean, it's just yeah. visual. You gotta have something. You can't just be a, this black figure. You know. Well, one thing that's been going on is the plot of the movie. It's been speculated that we're going to see it be Carnage versus Venom. Well, it's going to be symbiotes, yeah. I, and I, I think that I thought they would maybe have what one of them scream, you know, from the uh, Lethal Protector series, the female I think Toxin. Venom. Was Toxin one of them? Yeah, Toxin was a scream. This, I, you know, I just, I just know this, and I just read, I just drew a bunch of these guys in, in my Venom miniseries. Uh, but I, I noticed that one of the symbiotes it looked a little green, yellow and green, or yellow and red, which is what screams. Symbiote looks like. So uh, now, if this is in fact the case of Carnage coming to the big screen for this movie, how does it feel? You know, seeing one of your creations go to the big screen, and what is it like knowing that it's very possible that Woody Harrelson is going to be the one that plays Cletus Cassidy? Well, it's neat. You know, I, all this stuff is all just gravy on top of you know. I'm I'm doing my dream job. I'm doing the job I want to do since I was like nine years old. So the fact that you know they're taking these characters and changing them dramatically for the movies but they're still calling them the same things it's, it, it's, all, it's all gravy you know it's it's all just extra I don't need the validation I, to be validated by the movies I, I, I enjoy the comics I still do that but if it, if it bleeds over into popularity of the characters and, and into the comics and the fact that it's so much more of a mainstream thing um, than when, I, when I was a kid 120 years ago um, that's all good now, before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? They cannot. They cannot? No, they can get a hold of my daughter. Uh, I have a Facebook page, which I've never been to. But my daughter handles it and forwards things to me if I need to be forwarded to. And uh, 
and, and a friend of mine named Amos also. And um, so they want to get with me on that. Or my art dealer, Spencer Beck, if somebody wants a commission or something, which I do I do some, but not many, because I'm still pretty busy doing actual comics, like a real person. So, uh, okay. Very cool. Mark, pleasure having you. Um, pleasure to be here. We hope you've enjoyed this month of Spider-Man Month. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming. We don't know when we're going to do it, but the amazing movies will be on their way one day, and we will figure out how and when the X-Men movies will happen. Absolutely. So, I hope you all enjoyed this month of Spider-Man and all the surprises we had and all the cool shiznit we had. So before we go, let's get into our social media rigmarole. First off, go on Facebook.com slash The Marvelous. Give us a like on there and join the 3,000 plus. Did not expect to say that number this year. That are liking us on there. Go on Twitter at The Marvelous. Give us a follow on there. Give myself a follow at Peter Melnick. Yourself. At E. Wilson 959. Give us a follow on Instagram at The Marvelous. Give myself a follow at Peter Melnick. Yourself. Eddie 9193. Perfect. Also, you can find us in your email bag. Drop us a line. The Marvelous at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, your ideas for what you would like to see us cover, whatever, we will answer and we will give you our feedback. Yeah. Also, go on Stitcher.com slash premium and use at checkout that promo code. Marvelous. And get one free month of Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, if you like listening to things like Wolverine, The Long Night, the WTF with Mark Marin archives, Earwolf, and so many other things, sign up. Stitcher.com slash premium and use that promo code at checkout. Marvelous. So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. You knew it. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.